0: All right. Good evening, everybody. And welcome to episode number 98 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, May the 22nd, 2021. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank last Saturday's guest, DJ Ski. What a guy, what a guest he was. Check out his TOPS Project 70 cards with the awesome inspirations behind them. He told some stories on the episode, so check that out. Also want to thank last Saturday's After Hours guest, Adam Gray, The Real 27 Guy. Those episodes, along with all past episodes of Sports Cards Live and After Hours, are on the YouTube channel as well as on all podcast platforms for your binging enjoyment. And I'll thank Adam one more time for joining me this past Thursday, a couple of days ago, for the inaugural PWCC Premier Auction Ending Watch Party. What a blast that was. We watched and analyzed many of the 139 lots that were uh, in the auction. And for a special treat, go to that video and click on the timestamps that Adam left behind in the comments to see his decor literally fall off the wall in real time. It's pretty funny. This Wednesday, I'll be back for the fourth consecutive month of covering the live auctions, uh, the live PWCC eBay auction endings uh, for hockey cards. So check those out. Uh, We've been having a lot of fun with those. All right, a few shout outs. I want to welcome all new viewers. We are closing in on 2900 subscribers. And the podcast audience keeps on growing. So thank you to everyone who watches and listens for your support. If you are not yet subscribed, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you do, in the upcoming days, you will be showered with riches. I want to shout out the Big Three Hockey. Give them a follow on Instagram. They're great supporters and friends of the channel. And I want to let you all know that the virtual Sport Card Expo, and I'm going to keep reminding you guys of this because I'm excited for it. And I've been setting up at the Expo since 2005, but this is the virtual edition. It will be June the 19th and 20th. I'll stream the website on the ticker shortly, and uh, registration is free. I'll be set up at this thing, so be sure to come by say hello. Later tonight, after this show is over, we are going to have another show. Tonight's show, our guest is Jeff Morris. After this after hours, we'll start two hours from now at about midnight Eastern. Our guest will be Ryan Nolan from YouTube's Breakout Cards, who is at the Dallas Card Show this weekend. So we're looking forward to an update from him, and. I want to mention to you guys, I had the honor of uh, and the pleasure to be a guest on Brett McGrath's world-famous Stacking Slabs podcast. He dropped that episode yesterday. Check that out. He's an amazing host with uh, with a great attitude towards the hobby and the people within it. Just a great guy. All right. As always, your comments, your questions are in play. So don't be shy and let's get to tonight's guest, whose first foray into the hobby was in 1970. He was six years old and his dad would buy him packs of hockey cards on the way home from playing minor hockey. He collected through high school and university, archiving complete sets of basketball, or sorry, of football and hockey cards. He parlayed his degree in journalism into a stint writing card backs for pinnacle trading cards, climbed the ladder there, went on to Pacific Trading Cards and Collector's Edge. He then purchased and ran Canadian Sports Collector magazine for three years. He also had a former stint working there. He's a former college football star and CFL referee, favorite teams are the new york yankees the ottawa center is the ottawa red blacks and the syracuse orange and his favorite athletes gary carter thurman munson doug flutie gila fleur and julius irving originally from prescott ontario currently hailing from ottawa ontario let's bring him out jeff morris welcome to sports cards live how you doing tonight my friend hey i'm doing great jeremy thanks for having me on hey you're welcome you you are welcome so, all right. Well, Hey, it, it's great to have you. We, we chatted the other day. We had a good time. I learned a lot about you, a lot about your experience, your history in the hobby. You've got some, you've got, you've got some really cool experience and I, I'm excited for myself and for the viewers to hear some of your stories. So I guess let's, Oh, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in and start with, uh, your job, your, your role with uh, pinnacle trading cards, wasn't your first job out of, out of uh, university, but it was your first job with a card company. So, right. So uh, why don't you just tell us, how did you land that job in the first place?
1: Um, I had been the editor of Canadian sports card collector, and I had built a bit of a rapport and a relationship with them. And it's kind of funny how I landed there. Um, my, uh, my wife now ex-wife was pregnant and I was playing football in, in Buffalo on a semi-pro team. And um, the, we were living in St. Catharines, Ontario, which is in the Niagara area, for those of you who don't know where St. Catharines is. And uh, my ex is pregnant. And the team I was playing for was actually owned by this team surgeon for the Bills. And the doctors in Ontario were on strike. And I mentioned to Lori Goldberg at Pinnacle one day that Oh boy, like like I don't know what we're gonna do. The doctors are on strike. My wife is due next, you know, any any day now or any month now. But um, the team surgeon from the Buffalo Bills offered to go into the Bills locker room and deliver the baby there, which would be really cool because then I guess he'd be an American citizen and maybe we could get our green cards. And she said, "Oh, you mean you would move to the states?" And I said, uh, in a heartbeat, I would move to the states and within an hour I got a call from somebody at HR at, uh, at Pinnacle and that's kind of the story of how I ended up there. It was kind of accidental, but uh, I loved it there.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, so tell us a little bit about your, your first day there because uh, you did tell me some interesting stories and uh, share it with the audience about what kind of, what you saw, what you felt on your first day working for Pinnacle.
1: It was overwhelming. I mean, you know, I, I, go there. There's 300 employees. That's more people than were in the little village that I grew up in, uh, outside of Prescott, which was the big town with 4,000 people. Um, but, but, uh, um, yeah, it was a little bit overwhelming. And, and, uh, I kind of did a tour where, where I spent a half an hour in a meeting with different people and kind of rotated around the building. And then we had a, uh, uh a group meeting, uh, about hockey and they, um, they said, okay, uh, this, this was on a Monday and they said, okay, on, on Wednesday, uh, certified hockey goes live. And, and I kind of looked at them and I said, wait a minute, it already is live. And they kind of looked at me like, what do you mean? And I said, I was at a card show in Niagara Falls two weeks ago and I saw complete sets for sale and, and, um, and they were stunned. Like they were shocked and, um, ended up, they had, they actually had a, uh, a security guy. He was an ex FBI guy from what I was told. And he, he basically was this in this hidden room and did a lot of their security and, and investigated it. And then we found out that there had been um, a leak through one of our licensing partners of somebody taking master sets that we sent for approval and was um, getting them in the hands of dealers and selling them at shows as master sets. And, um, so there was a bit of a sting operation after that. The next set that went out had little invisible ink marks that only showed up in UV lighting, and we went and bought the set um, at the same Niagara Falls show, and that's kind of how um, that's kind of how the whole thing went down. But for the first day of my job, for that to happen, that was that was pretty intimidating.
0: No doubt, and I guess having an ex FBI guy on staff, what other sort of things was he there to do besides, you know, make sure cards weren't being sort of backdoored if you will, whether through through you or a partner.
1: That was that was the main thing. Like like they were so tight with security, like nothing left the building there. And um and he they also uh I, I mean when I went to Pinnacle I you know this is this is uh, March nineteen ninety seven by this point. I had done some freelance work for them for a couple of years but um I had actually never been on the internet before. So going to pinnacle was the first time I'd ever used email I'd ever been on the internet. And, um, and, and they would, they would, uh, and I'd, I don't know if a lot of corporations do that now or did that at the time, but this guy could like click and see exactly what was going on on my computer screen. So it was their way of monitoring on anybody, making sure nothing shady or illegal was going on or nobody was selling anything on eBay or, or whatever. But, um, but, but yeah, it was, it was a very, uh, um, you know the the security was very tight, but but I got to tell you, it wasn't done unfairly or in a in, in a kind of with any malice or anything like that. Um, it was it was an amazing place to work with uh, some really amazing people there.
0: So I want to just dig a bit into the uh, you know the leaking of cards because you know we've heard stories for years and years about you hear backdoor stories. I think every company has the the rumors out there about them what what sort of insights can you share with us in as to like how how could it happen if it does? and in your estimation, is it a is it a is it a problem or is it you know, from what you told me, it, it wasn't uh, a pinnacle employee it was it was a it was a partner sort of employee. Do you think that that's the case in in terms of the history of the hobby or or not. And and I don't know if you this is something you really can answer, but uh just wonder your thoughts on that, just to provide some perspective for everybody.
1: From from the company's perspectives, I mean I mean things like that only happen once. Um and and uh um you you know, but but there there were there were problems with uh um, you know, like like take uh, twenty five years ago, take Walmart as an example, when be a player hockey came out. Um what, what the pro- what the problem with dealing with Walmart was at the time, and I have no idea what it's like now because I'm talking, you know, 1990s, early 2000s. Um, when you sold product into Walmart, um, they would only pay you for the SKUs that were scanned. So, so you know, other companies would buy your product and then sell it like they do with anything, but Walmart's policy was we only scan, we only sell, buy what we scan. Well, we would send them, you know, say, say a hundred cases and, and only 25 would be scanned, but there would only be five cases left. What happened to the rest of it? So when products like be a player came out with had an autograph in every pack, um, when, cause we did be a player at pinnacle, that was one of the projects I look after. Um, all that stuff had to go out the back door and it was employee theft and employees would sell it on the secondary market. And, and it was impossible to, um, it was impossible to monitor it and catch it. The only thing you could do is stop selling to Walmart. And I, and I know some people did stop selling to Walmart and, and, um, but you know, you always have a situation like that where, um, where something has a perceived value on the secondary market and there's a means to get rid of it. Um, whether it's jewelry, whether it's computers, whether it's anything, you're going to have that problem in a big retail giant.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it, doesn't surprise me that Walmart is that sophisticated, where you know they knew how to stop, they, they knew how to deal with certain vendors in terms of, uh, you know, you're only getting paid if that SKU gets uh, scanned, and if it doesn't, or that product, you know, that that unit gets scanned. So that that's interesting, though. Uh, what? So before I do want to talk about, you know, and you, you know the reasons why Pinnacle no longer exists as a company. The brand exists. The brand exists. It, it, it's still, it, I believe, it's owned by Panini right now, but. The company, the original company, is no longer around. What What are some of the highlights from your years there? A couple, a couple, two or three things that might have happened that I don't know, you, you that you were involved in that you were proud of, or things that stick out. What What can you share with us about uh, your days at Pinnacle?
1: There's there's a couple um, or a few actually. Um, one of one of them was was when we did uh, our 1997 98 um, Pinnacle set. Um, that was the 25th anniversary of the 1972 Paul Henderson goal. So anybody who's Canadian listening knows exactly what I'm talking about, and Americans listening are like, "What's that?" So, so unless you're you know a hardcore hockey person, and and Paul Henderson basically, in a nutshell, if you don't know, Paul Henderson scored the winning goal in the 1972 Canada Russia series, which um, you know is is like the USA Olympics. Canada, USA, Russia—like times a hundred—as far as Canada goes, and 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 you know, I had this idea. Let's let's have Paul Henderson autographs in in our sets this year. Let's let's sign him to a deal and do autographs for the 25th anniversary. And um, I'm sitting in a boardroom with when I'm the only Canadian in there, and we're sitting in, in in our in our office was in downtown Dallas, and we're sitting there, you know, basically overlooking the grassy knoll. Uh, where, where the tower was. And, and, uh, um, and I'm explaining to them, like, we have to have Paul Henderson. Like, this is such a coup. This would like blow everyone in Canada away as and, you know, Canada was half our sales. U S was half our sales. And all these people are looking at me with blank stares on their face. Like who's Paul Henderson? What's that? And so I had to explain to them. Um, and then I looked out the grassy knoll and I said, okay, Paul Henderson in Canada is Kennedy being shot. Every, every American knows where they were what they were doing when Kennedy was shot right there and Paul Henderson every Canadian who was alive knows who they were with where they were what they were wearing what they were eating where they were watching everything about it nobody will ever forget that and that was sort of how I explained to the um, to them and then I threw a joke in. I said yeah right down there is where Aristotle Onassis had Kennedy assassinated and they're all looking at me like you know does this guy know something or and uh, but I always used to say that to tease them because it's Kind of fun to tease Texans.
0: (laughs) And what about something uh, about Jackie Robinson?
1: Yeah, when when I got there, there's uh, uh, again 1997 was was uh, an anniversary year. Was uh, the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson playing his first game in the major leagues April 15th, and and uh, I had just been at Pinnacle for about a month, and we made these uh, dofx. Jackie Robinson cards, which were fantastic, which um, we worked with Rachel Robinson on them and they were distributed at all the major league ballparks on April 15th as giveaway cards and they were beautiful cards and, and, uh, and that was really special to be a part of. And then after that happened, um, I kind of did a little bit of research and I discovered that nobody had ever made a card of Willie O'Ree. I was the brand manager for all the hockey products there. And of course, you think of Jackie Robinson, you think of Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the NHL, and I discovered that he had never had a card. So we um, did a card set, we resurrected beehive photos, we made a beehive card set in 1997. And I know beehive has kind of circled, circled around, upper decked beehive for a while and, and, uh, and existed, but we did it in an oversized format. And um, I got a chance to talk to Willie O'Ree a few times and meet him a few times, and and we made the first Willie O'Ree hockey card. And it's it's a shame that here's a guy that played in in uh, uh, in the 1950s and then in 1960, and he had never had a never had a hockey card made. So I felt really special to be a part of that. That was exciting.
0: What was the uh, photo selection availability like for a guy like Willie O'Ree who played in the 50s? <laughs> there
1: are there are two photos of him. Let me just hold on here. Here's I don't know if you can see that. That's uh, that's the beehive photo yeah. of Willie O'Ree. So that's one of the photos, and you see the on the back. It's uh, it's the same photo, and there's one other action photo uh, of. Of willie and and so uh of the 300 or so cards that are out there of willie now there's two there's two nhl photos that exist one that posed and and the other one is an action shot of him against the rangers and the th- cool thing about the rangers photo is that uh leo Boyven is uh who's a, a was a close friend of my dad's and we're from the same hometown he's in the photo and willie uh told me one day that Leo actually set up his first goal. Leo gave him a rink white pass. It was a saucer pass and sent uh, Willie on a breakaway. So it's kind of cool that Leo is in that uh, photo because I'm sure that there's about a hundred or 150 cards that, that use that, but, but yeah, there's only two photos that I've ever seen of, of, the, the, of him that have been used. Maybe there's a couple more out there, but it, they're rare.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen too many for sure. Okay. So let's, let's go on to, um, what happened to Pinnacle? Why did Pinnacle fail as a company and, uh, Yeah. What's your perspective on
1: that? I I think there's, there's a lot of reasons. Um, and, and, you know, over projection was one from like, okay, let's, let's look at the corporate level. I mean, from, from a corporate standpoint internally, um, I think the owners of Pinnacle had in mind that they wanted an IPO and that they were going to turn the company into a publicly traded company. So because of that, um, the decisions weren't made in a way to sustain business. They were made to um, get sales up and get a perceived value um, for an IPO. And that, and that IPO failed. That was sort of the doom and gloom for Pinnacle. But I mean, I mean, we, we spent ridiculous amounts of money on things. And, and for example, we did, uh, we were the sponsors of the uh, um, NHL all-star game fan fest every year. And that was a million dollars. So, so it's like, here's a million dollars. So, and, and, I mean, come on, and 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 there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, things like that, but but that was part of you know building a big name, building a brand, and um, and and I think too there were there were as, as far as the products go, um, there was a little bit of a disconnect because um, the one thing we used to hear at Pinnacle internally was was uh, um the we always compared trading card numbers to toothpaste numbers. Those two categories, trading cards and toothpaste, were about the same in sales. And, and what they didn't understand was was collectibles were um, an impulse purchase and they were an emotional purchase, whereas toothpaste is something you need. And, and, uh, um, and, and you know, like, like we, we, buy, we buy sports cards for two reasons. One for getting an emotional connection to the sport and to the game and to your favorite players, or the other is pure investment. Um, they're they're two very different different types of buyers, but I think the people that are investors love the sport as well. Um, they're not just random stock people. So so P- Pinnacle got a little bit out of touch. And what I was really surprised when I got there is there were only um, there were only three of us in the building that were true collectors out of 300. They were sports fans, they were marketing people, but they just didn't understand the mentality of the collector. And then when things went bad, I'll, I'll tell you a story, we had a product, um, you know, we, we were in financial trouble and um, our, our marketing group and uh, brand managers, we were basically shut in a boardroom um, and slid pizza under the door and said, you're not going home until you come up with an idea that will make us a million dollars. We need a million dollars in sales, come up with something. So we kind of brainstormed and I told the group how much I loved collecting uncut sheets. I had a few uncut sheets of cards and every time I'd go to a show and see uncut sheets, I thought, those are so cool. I got to get one, put it on my wall. Like, I don't know how many people, I don't know if they're ever available or anything, but whenever I see an uncut sheet in a frame, I just love that. And so then we thought, what about if we did an uncut sheet of like our best ever cards, or what if we did? Um, and then, you know, nobody really liked that idea, but we had the, we had the contract to do the NHL goalie masks with iTech. So, so then we thought, okay, well, what if we did uncut sheet size defects trading cards of goalie masks? And so we kind of pitched the idea and they took it to a focus group and the idea was fantastic, and then at the last minute they changed the SRP from 19.99 to 29.99, and it tanked. And and if it would have stayed at 19.99, it would have been a slam dunk. But because it was such a slam dunk at 19.99, they thought, well, let's let's squeeze another ten dollars out of the uh, SKU. And you know, at that time, the Canadian dollar was hovering around, you know, maybe 65 cents. So 29.99. Is 50 bucks in Canada is is 50 bucks worth for a goalie poster, uh, a mask poster? No, it's not going to happen. So, so there were decisions like that 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 were made. I don't know whether it was out of desperation or out of um, risk, out of gamble, out of uh, you know who knows. Those those were above my head those decisions. But um, but there were there were some things that that uh, you know we were we were pretty disconnected on on how the uh, how the collector thought.
0: I love the comparison, you know, sports cards to toothpaste like that. That's how they were managing. Uh, that's how they were, you know, I guess managing the business was somewhat managing the business based on toothpaste sales um, and the fact that there are only three collectors in the company of around 300. I'm not surprised that, that the company didn't didn't survive much longer. So uh, I think you mentioned to me that the, the the people that were kind of running sales and marketing were they came from Nestle and. Bass fishing outlets. Is that is that
1: what you told me? There were some people from Nestle there, and and I mean they were amazing at their job. They were excellent, and and uh, um, I learned so much from those people. Like like Greg Bacicchio, for example. He he might even be on here listening. Um, Greg was my boss there, and he he had come over from Nestle and hardcore sports guy, and and he really understood and got it. And I remember going into his office the first day saying and, and you know he he had a window office and we're looking down at the highway and he said basically here's what marketing is I want you to look at every car that goes by and think of the people in that car. How are you gonna let them know what we're doing here without spending any money? That's basically how, how you do it. And and um but but yeah there was there, there was and here's here's an example again, Jeremy, I'm going off on a tangent, but okay. we had a we had a product um Donruss. Donruss was part of Pinnacle, and there was a big facade that it was two separate companies, and every time the guys from Beckett wanted to meet with Donruss, the Donruss guys went to another building to pretend that we were two separate companies, but we were all working on the same floor, and we were all, we were all working together. Um, but Donruss came out with this product called Donruss Priority, and the boxes for the cards were like shaped like, like uh, mailboxes. And, and really cool idea. Cause it was, it was, uh, you know, it's just, you're always looking at creative ideas. Pinnacle Zenith came out at the same time with these really high end, um, boxes that, that were sloped. Like they weren't, they weren't boxes. They, they had the slanted and, and, um, so Greg and I went out on this uh, hobby shop, um, tour, and I think we were in Detroit and we went into a hobby shop and the shop owner ripped us a new one because the boxes don't stack. The, the mailboxes don't stack on each other. These, these rhombus-shaped boxes of Zenith don't stack. And we never internally thought of what about the dealer buying three cases that want to stack them up on their, on their shelves. We were thinking this is high-end looking packaging just like something Fossil would have. And, and uh, so we, we designed all our packaging for that without thinking the common sense step through. What, how's, how's the hobby shop going to handle this? So it was just little things like that. That uh, you, you know you make those mistakes, but that's why we visited hobby shops because we wanted to hear from the dealers what what is good with our products, what is bad with our products, what do we need what do we need to fix?
0: Yeah, I when I had Doctor Brian Price on the show from uh, and we spoke about his days with uh, when he owned in the game, mm-hmm. he he made mention of something to do with how they packaged a certain product so that when it sat on the shelf instead, you know, right now when a hobby box, sits on a shelf. You just see that, you see that front rectangle. You can't really see you, you might, you you have the backing, but that might be deeper in, there might be a shelf above it. So you might not see it, but he made mention of how they, they, they created a packaging so that you could actually see much more frontage. And I thought that was pretty smart. So what you guys were coming up with sounds like a nice, a nice shelf piece, but I guess if they can't stack it, people, the, the shop owners don't want it. All right. Well, so, uh, interesting anything else about your days at pinnacle uh, that you can think of that you want to chat about before we uh we move on we're going to move on we're going to we're going to say hi to the people in the in the audience in the chat which we haven't done yet and then we're going to talk about uh your time at collector's edge and the shop at home channel but pinnacle
1: let's wrap With it up. pinnacle um a couple things that are really cool um there's uh there's a card out there Um, I was working at the, uh, when I owned Canadian Sports Collector, I was working at the draft in Columbus and we had on the issue of our magazine, we had Patrick Kane on the cover and Patrick Kane's dad came up to me and started chatting to me and he showed me this pinnacle card. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, what card I'm talking about. It's the, uh, it's the Pierre Turgeon card, um, which I'm amazed. I remember when we did that card because Pierre Turgeon was getting tripped and you're not allowed to show any players being taken advantage of physically on their card. And here's Pierre Turgeon getting tripped. And I remember talking to Anita, our photo editor. It's like, that's not going to be approved. And she's like, but look at what a great photo is. Well, we put it in anyway. If you see that card, there's a little boy in the corner sitting on his dad's lap. And that's six-year-old Patrick Kane. So that's kind of a cool thing. There's one other pinnacle card I want to show you here. Um, This is my favorite ever pinnacle card. And this is a Gretzky emerald moment from the epics um the epic set and you know i we talked about how some gretzky cards are just exploding in value and you know you've got psa2 gretzky rookie cards selling for two thousand dollars on the market right now that particular card um that was in zenith that was the dare to tear um the big oversized cards with a little card inside and you had to figure out whether you wanted to rip rip to get anyway there were only nine of those put in packs i ended up with one when i left the company from from customer service just as a you know a parting gift to say um i don't even know how i ended up with it but um uh there were only nine of those went into packs i saw one of those psa graded on ebay for like 250 300 bucks it's like that's a gretzky card where there's only nine cards and it's like how is that not a a second
0: i gotta go look on ebay quick I'm kidding. Okay. Keep going. Keep going.
1: Keep <laughs> going. But it just it just shows you that that like you know there's there's if if you're if you're a collector and you want something special there's stuff out there, um, you know there there's some really good stuff out there even if you're looking for the special Gretzky's or Jordans or I mean those are the two guys driving everything right now, um, but there are some special things out there.
0: Yeah, the Patrick Kane as a kid card. I mean it pretty lucky you know looking back that he was actually sitting in the front row of that hockey game with his dad got you know was in the right you know the right range of four or five seats and made it onto that card and now he's in the nhl and the hobby knows about it it's not it's not a secret that he's on that card i wonder i mean obviously his father came up to you and told you but do you know how how does the hobby know that he's on that card besides his father coming up to jeff morris at an all-star game
1: we we did a uh, we did a story on it in in our next issue of the magazine and and i wonder if he's in more because his dad had a car dealership a high end i don't know if it was Audi or BMW something like that sold a lot of cars to the sabers players and he shared uh rinkside season tickets with with uh with somebody else so he was at quite a few games so i wonder if you go through if you'll see more um, Patrick Kane but we we put it out there and then I know Almir from Beckett had a had a piece on it as well um, and I think just word got out and uh, and you know on social media things things travel pretty quickly.
0: Yeah no that's that that's that is a great story and the Gretzky card I wonder how many people watching right now just went to eBay to see if they could find that Gretzky card because there's only nine of them and I, I'm guessing it's not numbered is it?
1: No, it's not numbered. And and I looked it up in uh, one of the price guides and they said that there were uh, 30 or less. And somebody's commented, there's a few comments. Uh, it was Sylvain Turgeon, not Pierre Turgeon. Sorry about that. Oh, I got yeah. the Turgeon Brothers mixed up.
0: Yeah, it was Sylvain. Okay, so uh, good, good stuff. Good recap on your years at, uh, at Pinnacle and really what it was like uh, behind it. That was really interesting. Uh, we're going to go through some comments now, Jeff. So have a sip of water uh relax for a minute and then we're going to get into your time at collector's edge so i just want to welcome b roy to the show we got jeff mcmahon ja- jacelyn is here rocco rosado mickey ziggy is here anonymous facebook if you're watching on facebook guys best to watch on youtube then i will know who you are global sports card investor good evening yyc vintage good to have you on steve tingwall great to have you hockey hockey Good to have you here, Terry Fortune. We got Darren again. Welcome to the show. You to man, you to da man, Darren, you to da man. Hello, super bad. We got 90s. We got my guy, Joe Perot from Santa Cruz. We got Al G. Good. Yeah, we're going we, to. I, that was a history lesson right there, right, Alan, everybody? That, that was really fun. Expos are representing on Jeff's head tonight. Good evening, Yannick, PSA slab guy. We got Duncan Chino. Great to have you. Tracy Shamer is here, if that's her real name. We got MMA. MMA, I noticed you uh, helping out with that, with the person who was spamming the chat. Thank you for that. Brandon, good evening to you. Sanderson, we got Michael Ham. Good evening, Michael. B Roy loves the oversized Oree. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, <laughs> a couple uh, comments are making me laugh here. Mr. Zoo has the 95.6 pinnacle set. Very nice. Dennis, good evening. Better late than never. As always, we got name. Victor, good evening to you. Corey Carr. My guy Sam is here. Great to have you. Very awesome. We got Matthew Jones. We got Bill is here. Says, was Jeff at pinnacle for the $35,000 bounty to anyone able to collect the four printing plates for any card from 97.98 baseball? Do you remember that promo? Do you
1: I do remember that promo, and uh, it was about uh, July, August 98 when uh, the axe started falling um, at Pinnacle. So there was there was that program. There was another one where um, we were giving away baseballs from interleague games, and we were giving away game youth pucks, and the company went under while those promotions were going on. So a lot of those would have gone unclaimed, and I don't know. I was, I think, the eighth last person in the building, um, and and I had a whole, I had a whole floor to myself in the, in this office building. And you know who came in after we did was Mark Cuban. So I'm holding the door open while Mark Cuban is wearing sweatpants and sneakers, carrying boxes of stuff in because he had just started Broadcast.com and and got the had the 13th floor at the Pinnacle Building, and uh, and then he sold the Yahoo. Like for one point five billion or something six months later, um, but but yeah, I, I was holding the elevator door open and chatting with Mark Cuban every day. I had no idea he was going to become like a Shark Tank guy, you know.
0: That's crazy. So you were working at the right place, just at the wrong time, perhaps. But uh, I know much, you yeah. you loved what you were doing, though. Oh God, crazy. I loved
1: every day of it. It was it was I, I had I had the job I always dreamed of uh, for so many, for so long, but with different companies.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to more of that. Matthew Jones asked, what time did the auction end the other night? It, we stopped the show, uh, the, the PWCC premier auction show on Thursday. We I stopped the live at about mountain time. It was about 11.02 p.m. and that auction ended at 11.26. So not too long after. Had we known, we would have stayed on. Jeremy Stein loves the 2013 Pinnacle Aces set. Anonymous Facebook user loves the walk down memory lane anyone uh, so we don't we got that one it was sylvan turgeon collector's edge excalibur just the best sword in the stones the best we'll get to some of that good evening smallville good evening bobby burrell great to have you as always tim marin thank you for showing up as always steve menzi is here mentioned earlier i'm actually i mentioned on a show i was watching before we went live here steve owns a sport card expo which will be the virtual i want to let everybody know again the virtual june 19th and 20th and he has announced that in-person november show will be four days this year i'm very excited about that because it's usually my favorite three days of the year now it's going to be my favorite four days we got chai town hustler sanderson jeremy i don't even know what the oh pompatis, oh yeah, pompatis of love steve miller Got goddess anderson got it and mma yeah isn't that isn't that cool mark cuban okay let's go ahead, Jeff, and let's talk about your time at Collector's Edge, because you went from Pinnacle to Collector's Edge, I believe, correct?
1: Yeah. Now, I'll I'll tell you a funny story about the first day there, because um, I didn't tell you this before, and I thought about it afterward. Um, I'm Canadian. I'm working in the States, so I'm on a visa. I'm on an H-1B visa. Um, If you guys ever watch 90 day fiance, kind of the, you know, same thing. It's all about getting the visa. So um, because I switched companies, I had to go to the States with, or go to the fly to Toronto to go to customs at Pearson airport, have new paperwork, re-enter the country. And, And I'm worried that what if they don't let me back in? Like my wife and my kids are in Dallas and I'm kind of, you know, I'm flying up on my own to change my visa. And, um, When you go through customs it's all american guys even though it's the canadian airport so it's guys from buffalo that drive to work and they're u.s representatives so they're interviewing me and and, um, uh, they start asking me questions would you say you're an expert in the sports collectibles business and i said yeah like i work in the sports collectibles business it's a specialized job and and they started really picking my brain and and i was getting scared and they, and the one guy says, "I'd like you to go into that room." And they they put me in this cement room with a with a couple of benches, and I'm sitting there for like half an hour, sweating, thinking I'm not going to get back in the country. And then these two guys walk in, and they're like, "You're Jeff Morris. You're from, uh, uh, you're the one applying for the hn one visa from uh, from Collector's Edge. Yes. Um, you say you're an expert in the industry. Yes." And they look at each other. They're like, "Great." And so they pull out this form. And when you cross the border, you have to fill out, you have to fill out a a form. And then when you get to the airport, there's this, uh, like a card, like a four by six card that you have to fill out and sign with, with like your passport number. They pull out this card. They're, They're like, Michael Jordan came through here like three days ago. Um, here's, here's the card. What do you think it's worth?
0: Yeah, I and that's why I was
1: bad. detained. And I was like, oh my God, like, like I nearly soiled myself. I was so scared that I wasn't going to get back in the country, but they, they, they helped me because they wanted to know what their Michael Jordan autograph was worth. But, um, but at that time, autograph forgery was huge in, in the, uh, in the business. And, and, uh, um, and, and you know, I, you don't see as much of it now, but back then uh, you'd go to card shows and things like that. You really had to be careful where you bought autographs from, but, but that was sort of my initial time at collector's edge. And uh, we did, we did things very, um, our card designs were very simple. Uh, they were photography driven. Um, but, but it's, it's funny because we were we were one of the first companies on the bandwagon with Kurt Warner back then. That it was that year, Kurt Warner's year. And we're making simple cards. And, and I was thinking back to Pinnacle. We spent so much money on technology. And you know what? We had these beautiful dufex foil stamped triple foil uh, whatever etched cards. And you know what? Your John Elway card from that is a dollar and your simple collector's edge or Pacific base card is a dollar. The, the technology did nothing to increase the value. What increased the value was when game use became part of cards right around then and when autographs became cards right around then. Collector's edge had a pretty good handle on what drove sales and what drove the market. It's player selection uh, being first to, we were the first ones to have a Jeff Garcia card when he got really hot. Because um, he actually, if you look at the first collector's edge, Jeff Garcia card, it's actually a Calgary Stampeders CFL photo um, um that, that we were able to source and just block out the logo and so you know player selection meant everything and collector's edge was really on top of that
0: that's pretty cool um it, it, it just kind of reminds you of some of those uh airbrushed photos from you know old vintage baseball hockey football sets from uh the early days
1: or the jacques lemaire uh, the jacques lemaire buffalo sabers card when yeah when there's
0: uh, There's so many of them. Some of them are better than others that, you know, some of them it's pretty obvious. Some of them are, they, they, they could pass. what is, I think it's the, the, there's a Rick vibe or something like that too. But anyway, okay. So, uh, and something you told me the other night that I thought was really cool was that collector's edge was owned by the shop at home channel or vice versa. And yeah. yeah, And something about some Saturday night live tie in, uh, tell that story.
1: Well, Shop at Home owned Collector's Edge. Shop at Home was in Tennessee, Collector's Edge was in Denver. So I stayed in Dallas, and I was alternated weeks between Denver and Nashville, and and it was really exciting to work in Nashville at Shop at Home. And a lot of a lot of the products we made at Collector's Edge were specialty products only for um, only for Shop at Home. And when you when we sold on Shop at Home, um, everything was ninety nine ninety nine. That was our price point. QVC was 1999, well, we had a kind of a a more expensive clientele, but our our dollars maxed out at 99. So so, you know, Don West was our was our uh, on air guy. Don was a character. I mean, love the guy. He was so much fun and and a genius. Uh, um, He'd be looking at his computer while he was talking figuring out dollars per second somebody's barking in his ear and he's carrying on and carrying on with his shtick and when don was on the air our sales were triple of when when he wasn't like he was that good and while i was there saturday night live actually did a skit on shop at home and they 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 ran it three or four times you can find them on youtube and will Farrell played don west and and they'd yell and scream and and you know they sold the shack plaque, and then in one episode, Mark Hamill came out and they actually tried to sell Mark Hamill as a human one of one, and 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 uh, and he didn't go for high enough, so he was he was all upset. Um, but it was like I,
0: I watched it after you called you told me I watched it the other night. They were trying to get eight thousand dollars. They couldn't even get eight grand for Mark Hamill the human.
1: And Don would say things like, like, uh, I remember we were selling PSA graded, uh, uh, Pokemon cards. And, and, and he'd say things like, like Charizard is the Mark Maguire of Japanese animation. This is the most important decision of your life. It's not, are you going to buy one? It's, are you going to buy seven? Are you going to buy eight? <laughs> you know? It was, and, and of course, he'd say something like that. And I'd be in the, in the booth looking down at the row of uh, people with the phones and you'd just see the phones light up. Like it was so funny uh, to see that, but Don was uh, a larger than life character. And then he became the uh, announcer for TNA wrestling when TNA wrestling started with AJ styles and those guys. And we were, I was with Pacific and we were in Nashville at the, uh, at the NHL draft. And we went into a bar on um, uh, printer's alley is this area of Nashville where there's a few bars. Don West is in there. So we end up sitting down having a beer and Don tells telling me he's the voice of TNA. And by the time we left that night, uh, Pacific had a, a license to do TNA wrestling cards. Uh, it was all done. It was all done uh, over beer on napkins and a pen.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fun story for sure. Okay. Um, I think that's about it from the, your days at collector's edge. Unless there's anything else before we move on to uh, your time at Pacific.
1: Um, yeah, sure. There there's a, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some behind the stuff. The one thing at collector's edge I wanted to say was, was I love shows. I love going to shows and, and um One of the most exciting things happened uh, to me personally is we were at a um, we were at a show in Miami for the Super Bowl and we had our booth set up and we had a lot of uncut sheets of kind of high end foil cards there. And this guy was, uh, uh, you know, smaller, thin black guy was kind of looking at them for a long time. And I went over to chat with him and uh, he turns around and it's Spike Lee and it's like i got to spend like half an hour with spike lee talking about football cards and i just thought that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life Like that was so cool
0: that is that yeah you've had some really awesome experiences okay i want to go to a few more comments i like this one from uh tracy shamer says uh jeff looks straight out of talladega nights now there's a bit of a story behind jeff's look tonight because the uh the earphones, the headphones of the mic he's wearing. When we when we met the other night, we had a serious echo. And I said, I said, Jeff, you need headphones. I don't have headphones. I said, you need headphones for the show. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And uh, so he brought he brought these ones in. And uh, I got to say the the audio quality is top notch. So uh, and Facebook user who I know is my buddy Todd says a great show. Who bought the Pacific archives after they went under? Um, oh, that's specific, so we, we haven't talked about that yet, but Br- this is Brian Gray, uh, tells us that Panini did buy them. We have Dr. Brian Price in the room. Good evening, Brian, says, hi, Jeremy and Jeff, nice to listen to your walk down memory lane. Yes, it sure is. And we got to hear Brian Price's walk down memory lane about a year ago, he was on the show with me, and I think I think that episode still holds the record as the longest episode, the longest interview show I've ever done. So um, I think we went about three hours, Brian, and what a, what a treat that was. Um, okay, we're going to come to Michael Ham's question a little bit later. we got in That was good evening to you. Steve Sir is on his drive home. Make sure you're driving safe while you're listening to the show. Please do, everybody. And uh, Sanderson or I can still hear Don West yelling at me through the TV. I'm sure, yes, Mark Hamill is a good sport. Bill says, and Don West swimming through cards on the floor was classic too. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, you you brian you have interesting stuff to say man i, I enjoyed it and i watched you on the cardboard culture show a few weeks ago i listened to the whole episode you told great stories then as well bobby burrell says enjoyed working with you and writing articles for the canadian sports magazine we're going to get to that magazine too bobby and uh jeff as well
1: brian also is the uh the best drummer in the history of the hobby i don't know if that came up or not it
0: did, it, it did. uh the the Pat, a passing fancy is the name of, of, of his rock band from the, from the sixties or the seventies, I believe. Yes. And Bobby it, it, was
1: yeah. a Bob, Bobby wrote a fantastic column for us. Absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we touch on you to something else? Do you want, you want to just talk about that article that he wrote and well, then well, can well, talk well, about Pacific or you want to do it later?
1: We'll, we'll go chronological. We'll go, we'll go into Pacific.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. And Eric, good evening to you. Happy to have you. Okay. So let's talk about Pacific, um, you know what stuck out with me when we chatted the other night was you said it was the best place you've ever worked. So tell us a bit about that.
1: It, it really was. I wasn't sure what to expect. And um, I had talked to Mike and Bruce Chapelier uh, over you know, through the years about the possibility of coming to work there at some point. And the timing was never right. And again, it's complicated with me because I was Canadian and needed to get the visa requirements and everything. Um, and then finally, everything sort of worked out. Uh, Shop at Home was being sold to the Food Network, and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen there. So so uh, I called Mike back and flew to Seattle and, and met with him. And uh, he had me over to his house for dinner. And what really I'll never forget that night because uh, he went and showed me some of his personal collection and uh, um, and I mean he was so hardcore as a collector loved collecting really understood it got got the business and I remember I actually he used to sell mail order cards uh, before. Pacific was a thing, and I remember being a, a kid in high school ordering stuff from him, and and uh, so it was it was kind of a thrill to meet him, and and uh, um, we really hit it off, and and uh, um, he was uh, other than other than my father, he was the person that I learned the most about in business, and and it was funny because we had this perception uh, at Pinnacle, you know, like we were we were doing $200, $250 dollars a year in sales, but we were losing, like. and uh our sales at pacific were maybe 20 percent of what pinnacles were maybe at the at the best of times
0: one sec jeff because you you sure. we lost you for a minute right when you were about to tell us how much money the company lost it's okay it's not your mic it was just a, an internet thing so okay yeah what was the loss because i found that to be interesting
1: at pinnacle um we'll put it this way i was at the nhl draft in buffalo and, and I had a, the company American Express card and I went to get gas into my rental car and the, the American Express card was canceled I went into the store I had to pay cash and I bought a USA today and there was a front page story about Pinnacle being like I don't know how many hundred million dollars in debt but it was like that was that was how I found out that Pinnacle was uh, uh, a sinking ship but but Pacific was so much smaller and so so you think automatically well they're only you know 15 20 percent of what what uh um what pinnacle is but pacific operated so tightly and and they operated smartly and and they didn't spend you know they didn't spend mon- money needlessly and mike mike's thing was if i'm going to spend a dollar i want five back and and uh and every business decision was made was very sound but he co- he created all of his products with um with the hobby and the collector in mind and integrity uh beyond anything i had ever seen like he like he was uh, just a class act all the way.
0: That's really nice to And he's a bit of a legend. Well, he's a, a big legend in the hobby Who has sort of, people were wondering where he went and he recently has uh, reappeared and been on some, some podcasts, which has been really interesting, but let's, let's keep, I was going to change the topic within the Pacific thing, but I want to touch on the integrity thing and let's talk about the game used memorabilia that you guys at, at, at the time of Pacific were inserting into cards and, and how, what the policy was there in terms of guaranteeing authenticity and documentation?
1: That was uh, something that he was really um, a stickler for. And we had we had a special room in the building, and only Mike and Shannon Johnson, who, who was in charge of uh, um, who was in charge of all the all the jersey cutting and, and sorting, they were the only two people allowed in the room. And uh, Shannon would would cut the jerseys and, and she knew to um, like we would purchase a jersey like for NHL, for example, we would get most of our jerseys from migray. So so we would have video of the migray Certificate of Authenticity, what game the jersey was worn in. We'd have video of Shannon cutting the jerseys. We'd have video of the cards being produced. And, and we were kind of thinking that forgeries were such a huge thing. Um, thing in the business that when the FBI comes knocking on the door, we're a hundred percent buttoned up and we would be the only company at that time with game used jerseys that would have been buttoned up because I know that different, different companies didn't, didn't operate that way. And, and we knew just from the timing that of, of like, okay, how can this rookie Jersey card exist when, uh, the guy played his first game three weeks ago, like, like they, like there were some things in the hobby that just didn't make sense. And, and, um, uh, the fact that, uh, uh, that that Mike did everything above board and Shannon was really good. Like she made sure to cut as many pieces multicolor as possible. Um, we made sure that the patch cards were used in the right place, and and uh, she did a phenomenal job. But but that was the one thing Mike was uh, um, absolutely one hundred percent by the book.
0: That, that's really that's really great to hear. So while while mike and pacific was totally by the book were were there concerns in the industry at that time that some other companies might not have been
1: yeah there were concerns about everybody because nobody really had a nobody really had a paper trail i mean it was it was a little bit of the wild west um we knew the autographs on cards were legitimate because you know, the licensors were the, you know, the NHL and HLPA or MLB and MLBPA would have been involved in, and known about the autograph deals going on. So, so you know that the autographs are legit. Um, but as far as jersey cards, it was a little bit of the wild west at that time. So um, I don't know how, you know, again, I've been out of the that's end of the business for 15 years, so I don't know exactly what's going on with the, the process in getting jerseys now. But, but all I know that at Pacific, every, like we had a very good system. Uh, it was foolproof. Nobody could ever question what we were doing. I didn't really pay attention to what everyone else was doing other than knowing that they weren't doing what we were.
0: Okay. Anything else about that topic at all? Or do you want, I want to, cause I want to move on to uh, talking about some of the creativity that occurred at Pacific that you're really proud of, but I just don't want to leave anything on the table. If there's anything before we, anything else you want to chat about that before we button it up?
1: Just one thing about Mike, um, you, you know, we had a we had our own packaging plant, um, we had a two story building and, and the, the offices were upstairs and then our sort of warehouse and packaging plant was downstairs. We had our own packaging machine. Um, and we were the only company doing our own packaging, which, which was good because we could really control, um, what was going on within within our packs as far as odds for inserts and things like that. And Mike was, uh, Mike was so hands-on with everything. I'd go into his office, look for him to talk about something. Can't find him looking around. I can't find him. I go downstairs. He's like on his hands and knees with a wrench tinkering with the machine and i and i kind of think back would would richard mcwilliam or jerry meyer ever lower themselves to to uh (laughs) to be working on a machine with a wrench and a screwdriver but mike was that way mike was mike was uh hardcore he was a blue collar background and he wanted it done right and and uh and that's the kind of guy he was i mean he was he was amazing to work for
0: Uh, that right there he was amazing to work for people like that are amazing to work for when they're willing to get their hands dirty and do the do whatever it takes to make the business uh, keep running and keep it successful. That's just really really cool to hear. So let's uh, let's talk a bit about then uh, the creativity. You had mentioned to me a couple of brands that you were very proud of: Atomic and and Heads Up. Or Atomic was one that you were very proud of. I want you to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about a bit of a funny story that happened with the Heads Up product. But
1: okay. tell us a bit about
0: uh, Atomic.
1: I have, if I could just reach behind the computer, I have some samples, of sure. uh, of. Uh... Well, this actually, this first one is a, a die-cut Crown Royal um, hockey set that was a giveaway. And one thing about Pacific, if you look at our foil cards, how bright they are—the the, the imaging—and that's because when we when we printed on foil, um, we took the outline of what we were printing and we put a we put a, a a layer of white, and then and then put the ink on top of the white. And none of the companies I'd ever worked for before had done that. So, and then even with um, like, back then, we were shooting uh, chromium film. Uh, we, digital pho- photography wasn't at the point where you could use it for sports yet. And Mike was, Mike was a, a, very good in the darkroom. His background was a, as a photographer, so he understood everything. So, so for a lot of our stuff, um, we developed it an extra half stop so that, so that the brightness would come up and then we adjusted the colors on the uniforms. But he wanted to make sure faces were bright and well-lit, um, which in the NFL, when, when you have, hel- in baseball, when you have like visors on helmets and, and shadows, uh, that's important. Um, the Atomic cards, if you haven't seen them, they're, they're kind of got a die-cut logo. That's a, a Ducks um, a Ducks card there. Uh, here's a Red Wings. These are from the 03 set, I think. Um, there's a Red Wings card. I mean, they're just just gorgeous, and th- that's my favorite set ever. And and uh, Rob Hicks looked after our our uh, um, looked after our design team, and he was absolutely fantastic and and very creative. And uh, uh, the stuff that he and his guys came up with was amazing. Rob went to work for Great Western Press in Dallas, which prints most of the trading cards in the. Uh, um, in in uh, in the United States right now, so um, really talented guy, and, and and again, great people to work with.
0: I remember being at the Sport Card Expo in Toronto. This goes back to I don't know 2003 or four, and uh, that and I I forgot what Atomic looked like until you just showed that card. But there was a there was a set at the at the Pacific booth that you could get, a, a maybe ten or twelve cards, and they were all the shape the, the die cut shape of the card was the team's logo or at least like two of the edges were and i thought they were just the coolest cards uh, ever so th- thanks for reminding me of that uh, i i had them for a while i don't know what happened to them. i don't own them anymore but now after having you on and seeing them of course i'd like to reacquire a set of those and stick them in a in a binder so talk let's talk now about this is so guys this is a pretty funny story that jeff told me uh, the other night and uh i there must be some people out there who don't know the reason for why this happened. And unfortunately, the player impacted didn't end up being very important in the long run, but at the time was it was a very important player in the hobby. So tell us about this. The product heads up. It, it was a box of cards, but it came with a bobblehead inside of it. And there was a bit of a, an, an issue with with these bobbleheads. So take it from there, please, Jeff.
1: Okay, so so heads up was uh, um, going back, well, probably hundred years earlier, was was one of the very early trading card names. So it had some history in the hobby, and and so we thought, well, let's uh, we I wanted to do this card set with a bobblehead doll. Alexander Global Promotions made most of the bobblehead dolls for stadium giveaways, and they were they were a pretty big deal. Um, in around you know 2002 2003, that bobbleheads were big, and um, and they were down the road from us. So it's like let's work together and let's do this set of Pacific bobblehead dolls. And, and the, the the card set would be you know you can get 24 packs plus plus a bobblehead, and we ordered them and and the product sold out before it was even manufactured. Like it was it was really well anticipated, and so we picked 10 players. And you've got to remember, you know we're not picking the 10 greatest players of the time we're te- ten, we're picking the 10 guys that are driving the hobby and when you look at the hobby's history um you you look at times where you know blaine locker and jim carrey and 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 uh patrick lalim and and jim campbell i mean i mean there are some kind of random guys that were the hot the hot ticket items in any particular month well that year um mike Comrie was very hot mike Comrie had had left uh college hockey gone to junior and then and then was playing in the nhl he's he's uh was married to hillary duff he's he's not anymore but mike Comrie was uh, a big star uh, for for a couple of years and th- that was his rookie year so we had, we decided to have mike Comrie in the in the bobblehead doll uh, set and um mike kramer kind of thought you know what i want to get some of me made too so it's like hey mike's paying the bill he can have <laughs> Poppleheads, if he wants but he wanted to get them and give them to his friends for christmas and and then we have got the idea like let's let's have mike autograph some of them and put them actually in the boxes so there were mike kramer dolls and the rest of them and um and the mike kramer doll i think could be redeemed for for a prize i don't remember what what it was now um but when the shipment from alexander global came back the the dolls are made in china they're brought back over by boat and they arrive and we're missing a thousand dolls. And, and, uh, the factory in China got Mike Kramer and Mike Comrie mixed up when they thought that we just put the name down twice. So they made the Mike Kramer dolls and they just assumed that Mike Kramer and Mike Comrie were the same guy. So the Mike Comrie dolls never got made. So, so we were all of a sudden short a thousand boxes and we had to, uh, kind of tap dance around that one because we oversold the product, but um, little communication things, those, those things can happen, but it was, uh, it was kind of funny.
0: That is funny. Was, was the Mike Comrie doll on the checklist? Like would collectors have been looking for this thing?
1: Um, I, I think in the initial one, it was, it was in all our sales material, but when the mistake was discovered, I mean, we, um, we called Alec Beckett right away and let him know that, Hey, there's no Mike Comrie. And they wrote a little story on, on how this, uh, how this whole thing happened. Um, yeah. so, so, uh, um, yeah. And, and then I, I'm sure you're going to ask me about the earthquake.
0: Um, We're coming to it. We're coming to it. I have it, <laughs> on, that's, I have it on my list. I wanted to do a couple of comments first.
1: Okay, Sure. Then-
0: yeah. Okay. So I just saw Brian Price says Bruce Chaplary Sh- was the manager at uh, ProSet when I first took over the Parker when I took the Parker's license there in '91. He was a great guy. So was Mike Kramer. Very nice. This is Ken Wong, who's one of the co-hosts of Cardboard Culture. Says uh, enjoy hearing the past history of the hobby. No doubt. MMA enjoyed the atomics as did I. Matthew Jones says Crown Royal looks like the 2021 Crown Royal basketball cards from Panini now and. What you'll find is that uh, that the Pacific brands inspired a lot of designs that we see through to this day. And I wonder, and this is a question I'll, I'll ask you, Jeff, do you think that that is because the, the the do you think it's because people that were working at card companies now are looking back and, uh, and seeing what was done? And, or do you think it's people who were working at Pacific or worked in the industry at that time that are now working at Panini?
1: I, I think it's maybe. I, I don't think anyone from Pacific is is working in the in the hobby still, other than other than Rob working uh, when when he went to Great Western. But um, but but I think that you know you know the one challenge we always had was was there's only so much you can do on on uh, um, two and a half by three and a half inches of cardboard, and 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 you know there was such a proliferation of brands and products, it's pretty hard to come up with something. Uh, new and different. We've gone through autographs. We've gone through game Jews. We've gone through game used autographs. We've gone through game used autographs, serial numbered. We've gone through game used autographs, serial numbered to the Jersey number. I mean, mean,
0: uh, are there
1: any, yeah, are there, are there any, anything um, other than selling, actually selling Mark Hamill? Like, like, is is there anything? I think Bobby hall could probably be for sale uh, if you can find. You
0: ask that question. You know, there's always so much pressure on the card companies from the from hobbyists to innovate. They don't innovate enough. Don't... I'm constantly impressed with the amount of innovation that comes out of the various card companies. I mean, it's you know, we've even got the 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 press plates have made their ways and their way into cards now and, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, Chi town hustler. That's Dave Slipka, who was on with us a couple weeks ago says that we need some Alan Lewis and Mike Monson stories. Now, I don't <laughs> know who either of those gentlemen are, but uh, if you can, uh, if you can let us know and tell a story or two,
1: I can tell you a Dave Slipka story. That's even better. <laughs> uh, Let's do that too. There, there was a show in Chicago and, and Dave and I were there and it was the last year of the Expos. Obviously I love the Expos and, and it was the last year of the Expos and the Expos were playing in Milwaukee that night. So Dave and I Dave was working for back I was at Pacific and Dave and I were like, let's go to the, let's go to Milwaukee. Let's go to the Expos game. So Dave got tickets. We, we got it all figured out. Uh, we raced out of the show, got to Alamo, rented a car, raced to Milwaukee. We got there. The first inning was already over. And, and, um, uh, we just like parked the car and ran into the stadium, and then uh, and I acted like an idiot. The Expos won like ten nothing and ten one. Vladdy hit a couple home runs. I yelled, "Who's your Vladdy, baby?" I was like breakdancing on the jumbotron. Uh, I had my Canadian flag. Some guy was chasing me around trying to set me on fire at, on the on the mezzanine because I called him him and his friend Lenny and Squiggy because they made fun of Canada. And um, there was a the,
0: truly reference.
1: Well, that was Milwaukee. That's well, all I could think of. And so the game ends and Dave and I leave the parking lot and we both stopped and looked at each other. It's like, where's the car? We didn't know where we parked. We didn't know what color the car was. We didn't know <laughs> the make of the car. All we knew is that it had a Nebraska license plate and it smelled like White Castle inside. That's the only thing we knew. And we wandered around the parking lot for probably an hour and a half to two hours meeting everybody. And people are yelling at me, Hey, Canuck, go home. And it's like, I can't, we can't find the car. And, and, uh, so once every, almost everybody had left, uh, the the gray Impala that we were looking for ended up being like a blue something else. And, and, uh, um, at about two in the morning we finally found the car and drove back to chicago um, but that was probably the most fun i've ever had at a baseball game in my life well slipka says it's all true you know i <laughs> i'm sitting here like
0: i you know if we are if we're talking at the same time it's just we're going to cancel each other out. So i'm i'm like i'm trying i want to laugh out loud but i can't because i know that it'll make it so people can't hear you so i'm like Struggling here to laugh and not make sounds, but that's, that's a funny story. I could just see it. And uh,
1: it was my, and it was my first time ever at White Castle. Cause we don't have that in Canada. No, it, was no. like, it was like angels crying on my tongue. It was so good.
0: <laughs> White Castle was like angels crying on his tongue. That's a great line. Wow. Okay. Um, let's, let's go to Sean. Rob has a question here. He says uh now that Mike Kramer is doing some interviews, uh, do you think that that could help reignite interest in Pacific cards?
1: I think it will. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a real, um, a real resurgence of interest in stuff from the nineties and two early two thousands right now, especially for hall of famers and stars. And, uh, um, and, you know, I think, I think it's great that Mike is. um, Mike is out there talking about it. And, and, uh, um, it's funny. He, he, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll send me a message every now and then, because somebody will reach out to him and ask him, Hey, what do you remember about this autograph card or that? And if he doesn't remember, he'll send me a message. Hey, do you remember we did this? And, and, uh, um, so it was, uh, it's, it's kind of kind of fun to, uh, cause it takes us both back down memory lane and it's, it's pretty hard to, um, pretty hard to remember things that you did 15 and 20 years ago sometimes, but,
0: Sometimes it's hard to remember what you did earlier today or the, or the day <laughs> yeah. before even, right? It just depends. So I hear you. Okay. Um, so let's move into, cause you alluded to it earlier. Let's move into the, uh, the Seattle earthquake story.
1: <laughs> so, um, I had never been in an earthquake. Um, we get little earthquakes in Ottawa, but I've always slept through them. I'd never actually been awake for one. And, and you've got to remember we're, we're about to do heads up. We've got, um, we've got this warehouse walls stacked with, um, with 10,000 bobblehead dolls. And, and all of a sudden the building starts, remember those electric football games where, where like from the sixties and seventies, where you'd turn it on and the, the players would bounce around and then they'd hook their arms and, and the, everything would vibrate. It was sort of like the building was like that, but we looked out in the parking lot and it was like, the pavement was like liquid. It was like rolling. And, and we're kind of like, let's get the hell out of here so so we go down the stairs and and when you go down the stairs you you stop and there's this wall of bobblehead dolls all, all like ten thousand of them going like this at the same time so it's like i know i got to get out of the building but this is the coolest thing i've ever seen so um so yeah that was uh, that was my that was my uh, experience with a seattle earthquake it was uh, it was kind of fun
0: I just love the the bobblehead story because you're there. You are running, trying to get out of the building, and you run through and you see a wall full of bobbleheads. You're like, "Well, that's kind of cool." <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Like like, why didn't we have phones with cameras then? You know, that yeah. would have been that would have been like the greatest TikTok ever.
0: You know. Exactly. Which I actually, you just reminded me something I want to mention way back earlier in the discussion when you were talking about um, working at working for Pinnacle. And you were told basically to, in terms of marketing, you got to find a way to let everyone know in those cars driving by what we're doing up here in this, in this company. And I thought to my, when you said that, I thought to myself, well, how did you, how would you even do that back in the day? Oh, and, and it had to be for free. Had do now you can do it for free with social media. How could you even do that back then for free when all advertising mediums were basically print or television or billboards, how, how would. How would you have even done that we don't need to go way back to that but that was just a thought i had, i had way back and forgot to mention it unless you want to address it really quick
1: well it, it would that could be a show unto itself but 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 it's uh you know we were really big in guerrilla marketing there and and uh and we developed a lot of uh um you, you know things couldn't go viral on social media then but but you could um you could do things at shows, and you could you could get attention that, that sort of spread the word. One thing we did very well at Pinnacle was was, uh, and this is Lori Goldberg. She was she was fantastic, and and she went on to be um, Larry King's assistant, and then was VP at Cartoon Network, and like she she's had a great career, and and um, she got us in um, USA Today hundreds of times. Um, if you watch Seinfeld, if you watch Seinfeld, if you see George Costanza um in his bedroom there's a score baseball poster behind his bed like laurie was responsible for getting a lot of those things done and and they were all done uh through guerrilla marketing so so there was a lot of stuff like that that went on
0: okay cool okay let's now um i I do want to talk about the end of pacific but before we do anything else on mike kramer he's a you know bit of a legend bit of a, a mystery as well anything else about mike kramer uh Business wise, Pacific wise, that you want to share with with
1: everybody. Um, he's one of the most talented artists you'd you'd ever see or meet, and and uh, um, if you follow him on Facebook, he he does these little uh, miniatures of of his 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 hobby is uh, um, kind of he's kind of into history and royal history and military history, and he's always doing painting figures and and uh, putting them up online. And he's an incredible artist, and and I think that. Um, I think that his attention to detail in his art is, is a reflection of, of his attention to detail in, in what he did as a photographer and what he did with our company.
0: And so let's hear about the end of, uh, what, what happened with Pacific in terms of it's it, when it ceased to exist, how did that happen?
1: That was, uh, that was all, um. We were a casualty of the NHL lockout. Things things seemed to go be going pretty well, and then the NHL lockout happened in 0405, and we were informed that uh, um, we wouldn't be making trading cards that year by the NHL. And uh, and when hockey cards came back, uh, the NHLPA granted an exclusive deal to Upper Deck, so there were no other card companies. So um, so Mike basically closed up shop, sold the equipment. Uh, sold the assets. He kept, uh, he kept a lot of this stuff for himself. As far as the, uh, the archives of cards, I don't know. He sold, uh, he sold to, to a few people. I don't know exactly what happened to a lot of them, but I know that he has a, he has a pretty extensive collection himself, but um but I mean, he liquidated as much as he could. And it was, it was a sad day because, I mean, it was sad for me because I got deported and and, and that kind of (laughs) sucked. My fingernails are still at the border. No, I don't want to go back. It's too cold. Um, but, but, uh, um, but yeah, it was, it was a, a really unfortunate, uh, um, thing because uh, again we we all put our hearts and souls into there. The one thing about Mike, just this will tell you everything about him. Every time any of us, you know, Bruce and Mike and Phil Roth, who was our CFO, um, and and uh, and Rob and, and Mike, anytime any of us had to fly anywhere on a business trip, uh, Mike would give us a big hug, and and it was sort of like a like a good luck thing, and and it was like you know we were family to him, and and I've never worked anywhere like that where I was treated like family and that's kind of the best compliment I can say about Mike.
0: Yeah. That's, that, that's a really nice story. Really nice. Uh, Slipka says that Gene Upshaw killed him.
1: Yeah. Gene Upshaw uh, at the Hawaii trade conference um, kind of uh, made us aware that we wouldn't be uh, doing football cards anymore. Um and, 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 you know, th- that was a result of some hobby shop owners complaining that there's too much stuff out there. And Gene Upshaw was like, well, let's get rid of one. And we were the, you know, I guess we were the little brother. So, so, uh, so, so there, there it goes. It happened, happened pretty suddenly. And, and, uh, you know,
0: you, you just roll with it. Yeah. Life goes on. And MMA Rookie Card says, in your opinion, what are a few of the best specific cards collectors should search for? Any? Uh, can you can you help them out with that? Um, go, ahead. go ahead.
1: I don't know if there's any particular. I, I mean, private stock was was sort of the one that that to me uh, was always uh, was always sort of our our, our one go to as far as uh, collecting them for um, something that's going to appreciate in value. Um, but we had such such an array of designs. I I, w- I would not say that there's one particular set. I would look at at what particular players we had. I mean I mean we had uh, we had the first Kurt Warner card at Pacific, and it was a shared card. It was a dual card with somebody else. But that that Kurt Warner card um, became so popular in the hobby, and and so I, I would I would say it's not necessarily don't look for any particular brand or any set. Um, you know, there's such a variety. Look. Collect what you like, but focus on the players of the time. Focus on Griffey Jr. and A. Rod and and uh, uh, Bonds and and uh, you know Sosa, McGuire, uh, all those guys, and and. Um, and that's, you know, the players are the ones that drive the hobby. I mean, look at, look at right now, how, how exciting would it be right now when you see Shoyatani what he's doing, when you see uh, Mercedes from Chicago off to a hot start, Jacob deGrom might be the best pitcher we've ever seen in our generation. And if he's not Garrett Cole might be like, we've got some incredible guys to collect right now. And, and, uh, and it's the same thing back then, you know, you had Derek Jeter in that era, you had, you had, so many great players. Uh, Greg maddox is another one. Like 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 find the guys you like and and uh, and zero in on them.
0: Yeah, so I want to mention also I believe I believe Pacific pioneered the jersey numbered rookie card. Pacific Titanium came out yep. in I think 0001 or 102 and you guys had rookie cards of of um Pavel Datsuk. And Ilya Kovalchuk were kind of leading the way, you know, the, 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 the Datsuk is out of 13, the Kovalchuk is out of, out of 17. And then there was the one-of-one one Ty Conklin, which apparently yep. was in a box and got pulled in Winnipeg a few years ago after, you know, sitting on the shelf at, at Superstar Sports Cars in Winnipeg for, I don't know, 17 or 18 years. And a lot of people were chasing that set, including if Todd is still watching, uh, somebody watching the, the show right now. So um, that was a really neat uh, innovation back in the day that is carried on today in many sets now we, we see that. Do you remember uh, kind of devising that plan or the company devising that plan back in the day?
1: Yeah, I remember uh, um, Philip Starr was our sales guy and and uh, Philip and I went out for dinner one night and, uh, um, and uh, we decided that we wanted to do private stock titanium and we had both talked about like we should have a set where the rookie cards numbered to the Jersey number. And, and uh, so we kind of came up with the plan and then we pitched it to Mike next day and, and uh, Mike was like, let's go for it. That sounds great. And, and, uh, um, and yeah, and Philip was a character too. I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm sure a lot of guys that, that, were in the hobby at that time have met him at shows and things. And he was a, he was a real, he was from college station, Texas. And he was a, he was a hardcore Texan guy. And, and, uh, um, he loved baseball. So you'd go into his apartment and he had no furniture. He had a beanbag chair, four big screens with baseball on, and a bunch of animal, animal heads on the wall. Cause he liked hunting. And that was and that was it. And he ordered it every night. And, Gosh. and, uh, and, and it was, uh, he, he was a great guy though. And, and, uh, um, yeah, we came up with that idea and, and it, uh, and, and I mean, you know, we, we go and meet with the Be- Beckett guys and Dave actually might've been in that meeting and we, we pitched it to them. Here's what we're doing. Cause they, um, would write about it. And, and, uh, uh yeah, there were some, there were some pretty low numbers and, yeah. and we had, we had Ilya Kovalchuk as our, uh, we had Ilya Kovachuk as our spokesman that year, and, and I remember being in the, uh, I remember being in the shower, washing my hair, and and uh, I had this idea, and I came like running out of the bathroom with like naked, with like foam all over me, and I was like need, I need a notepad, and and I had just was thinking to myself, and and we came up with the tagline, um, we put we put the Elia in memorabilia and that was, that was our thing. And it's like, it's like I'm covered in shampoo and I had to write it down before I forgot. And that we came. Uh, so then I studied, uh, I studied Russian for a few months and gotten nowhere with it, but enough to like, you know, you know, like, hello, how are you? Stuff like that. So that when I met Ilya Kovalchuk's parents, um, I, I could say hi to them. And, and yeah. uh, but, uh, he was a great guy and, and, uh, um, but yeah, that, that was that, that, private stock titanium, the, the Jersey rookie numbers. I think that was, that was one of the coolest things we did.
0: Yeah. So to MMA rookie cards, that's something that came to mind. Um, when you mentioned that uh, for sure. I also want as far as, you know, Pacific trading cards. So there's the Dallas card show this weekend and I was on Instagram earlier today. I was actually driving to go get my vaccine shot. And, um, <clears throat> and I was, I saw, going live was a, a guy by the name of peter pac-man he's he, he he's a he's a well-known celebrity hob, hobby celebrity if you will on instagram and his whole thing was he was when i was watching him he was going through some a quarter bin looking for pacific football cards and and so you know when when um when Sean when Sean rob asks you know do you think that uh mike Kramer doing interviews now is going to help bring back interest in Pacific trading cards. You know, we got this guy, Peter Pacman out there who is, is well known in the hobby and he's, uh, he was live streaming from the show today with his camera picking through, looking for pulling out Pacific cards. So, I mean, right there, you know, I I don't know. I just thought it was, it was kind of cool considering that you were coming on tonight and that, that uh, was something I got to watch earlier today. Uh, MMA says, thanks, Jeff. I grew up in Iowa. I respect the Kurt Warners tip adoption. Thank you. And, uh, Thank goodness he worked. Thank goodness he worked out. Yes, for sure. MMA says, yeah, Peter Pac-Man, the best card Canucks. Those specific Tom Brady cards are nice too, for sure. And I want to thank Thomas Newman through a 99 cent super sticker out. Tip tip for the host. Tip for the guest. Thank you very much, Thomas Newman. Um, okay, man. Anything else before we move on to the to the Canadian Sports Collector Magazine experience? Here's here's
1: something for card Canucks. Okay. I collect oddball jerseys. So here's here's an Expos jersey, November 12, Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a Montreal Expos draft pick as a catcher in 1985, or 1995, and he decided to play football instead.
0: Why would but he do that?
1: I know. It, he should have been an Expo. It would have been all those World Series. with team would have stayed and everything. But um,
0: Definitely. So Thomas Newman asks, hey, Jeff, have you ever thought about making cards again?
1: If someone will hire me, yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There you go, Thomas. And if you're – yeah, if anyone – any card makers out there looking for a a Jeff Morris, here he is right now. Okay. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) President's Choice Trading Cards, here you come. Here you come. Okay. Let's talk about Canadian Sports Collector because this is a magazine I remember – from I, I believe the 90s, early 2000s, I loved it. I liked it more than Beckett back in the day. I found there was, it was there was good editorial. The price guide I found was different. You know, it was good. It was different. Uh, Canadian dollars helps if you're in Canada. But tell us about your experience, like buying the magazine and keeping it going, and how long did you keep it going for?
1: Um, I I was the uh, editor back in 1980. well 1992 through uh until i went to pinnacle and then when i came back i bought the magazine in uh, 2006 um and we kept it going for about two and a half to three years but at that time um you know there were a lot of factors why you know a a magazine price guide didn't work anymore we tried some rebranding stuff um bobby um wrote for us a monthly column on on some kind of um specialty and oddball kind of food issue type of of stuff like he's an absolute expert on things like that we had um we had an expert autograph collector we we had a few people that really submitted some great stuff uh for us but but basically what happened was the hobby was really um shrinking at that time and um we just kind of got phased out and and it just became more and more and more of a struggle every month. And and then we just finally got to the point where we just couldn't throw any more money at it. And we just, uh, we just closed shop. And it was a really heartbreaking decision to make because uh, um, I think that if we had been able to keep going, we'd be on a, on a rebound. Right.
0: Yeah. Did we lose you for a second here? Someone in the chat, let me know if that's me or if that's Jeff, please. Please, please. Oh, can.
1: Okay, can you hear me? Okay.
0: I hear you again. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. The, the hobby. Uh... Uh, and there were a lot of things, there were a lot of reasons why people walked away from collecting during that time. People got into fantasy, you know, people collect because they want to create an emotional connection between themselves and the player on the card. Uh, like, for example, if you're a, if you're a big uh, John Elway fan, well, you're going to collect all John Elway cards because it, that's, that's a connection um, between you and John Elway. So um, people were getting that fixed through, um, through fantasy, they could own a player which was even better than collecting a player. And, and, um, and, and as far as the, uh, um, investor side of it, uh, people were into quest trade and E-Trade and things like that. And they were getting their, they were getting their investment fix, uh, outside of sports. So, so it was kind of the perfect storm for the hobby to slow down. You always know that the hobby is cyclical and it'll come back and, and it's good to see that it's, uh, strong again.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. I want to go to a few comments. Uh, slip gust as interesting news about that conklin find i thought i was the only one who remembered it there's there's people that were looking for that card i know one of my good buddies was looking for that for a long time steve sir says pacific was a game changer back in the day i remember having my mind blown by the products gold foil comes to mind great memories and bobby burrell who wrote for your magazine remember in the csc mag editors page you used nickname for staff using themes like the sopranos and the simpsons etc anything uh any stories about that particular topic that you want to share?
1: Or we just, we, we just stuck that in, like where you'd always have a, have a page where your masthead lists all the staff and, and we would pick a different theme every week and just give everyone a nickname. And I thought nobody would ever even notice it. And, uh, but then people, once they did notice it, they went looking for it. And it was just, just a way to put a smile on people's faces. And, uh, and actually Bobby, I'd forgotten all about that. Thanks for, uh, thanks for reminding me. Okay. And so,
0: my last my my, i guess last point or question on on the magazine would be like how did during your time with the magazine you had a lens into the hobby that is kind of unique so can you kind of share with us how you saw the hobby the rise of the hobby or the the trajectory of the hobby that time anything you can share about that
1: um it, it was just, it was just a steady, a steady decline. And, and, uh, and it was really unfortunate to see, um, to see happen. And, and, uh, and, you know, we, we looked at, at other things like, like, you know, video games, for example, like the NHL EA game, um, the, the, the division that does trading cards with the NHL and NHL PA also looks after the video games. So, so, the video games were exploding as trading cards were going down, so they're looking at their numbers being either even, even or even being up. Um, but but as far as as the relevance of a Canadian price guide at that time or or uh, um, specific hobby stories was just uh, um, it was waning and it was really um, uh, it was frustrating. It was it was like you know it was like you just couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't keep it alive. And now, and now I think that, uh, well, again, in, in Canada, for example, um, if the Leafs go deep in the playoffs, that's going to really, you know, and I'm not a Leafs fan at all, but, um, but, but they have so much power within, uh, within the hobby in Canada, that's going to really resurrect a lot of, um, not only interest in the Leafs now, but it's going to draw a lot of attention to the 93 team, uh, to, the Doug, Doug Gilmore era team. It's going to draw a lot of attention to the 67 team. Um, so, so it's, it's healthy, uh, for, for a Canadian team to go. And, and with the North division, we're guaranteed a, a final four team, which hasn't happened uh, in, in quite a while. So, so, uh, um, you know what happens on the ice definitely affects what happens in the hobby on a regional level in Canada.
0: As far as hockey cards go, yeah, and I guess yeah. as far as your your lens your lens through which you saw the hobby at the magazine would have been mostly hockey centric. Uh, so. Ooh, is that yeah. correct? Would that be right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. I mean, we, we, I, I made an effort. I mean, I'm a huge CFL fan and and I made an effort to uh, make sure we had CFL stuff in there because it was unique. Nobel's had it. We focused on the Blue Jays Expos and a lot of Canadian players like, you know, Russell Martin back then. And, and, you know, I'm sure that the same would be for someone like Joey Votto. Now um, we'd be, we'd be focusing on Canadian players. And, and uh, so we always had a Canadian spin on, on yeah. it, which made it, which made it unique.
0: Tell us a little bit about your, your football career, your, uh, your time at Carleton university and, um, any tryouts you may have had.
1: Um, I played, uh, Carleton university is in Ottawa and, uh, I played football there for, uh, we, we we play five years in Canada instead of four years in the U S so I played, uh, five years and I was, uh, all conference three times. I was the school's all time scoring leader until, uh, two years ago. And, and, uh, I'm still heavily involved with the alumni with the program. Carleton is more known as a basketball powerhouse. We've won 15 of the last 18 national championships, and every year NCAA teams come up and play. And um, in the last few years, Carleton has beaten Baylor, Alabama, um, Louisville schools like that. So, so it's it's a powerhouse team. Um, Probably if we were in the NCAA, we'd be sort of sweet 16 level, but I don't think know if we'd get farther than that. But um, but it was a great school. And then after, um, after that, I bounced around some tryouts with the CFL. I had a sniff with the uh, Washington Redskins, which is now the Washington football team, um, and with Buffalo. And uh, um, then I played uh, semi-pro football uh, for – probably 11 or 12 years. And then when I was 47, um, I made a comeback and kept playing uh, for another three years and it didn't end well. I kind of tore my labrum and dislocated my hip, making a tackle and, you know, I'm at the on my way to the hospital, calling my wife on the phone, and she she said, "What what the hell do you think was going to happen? You're 50, right.
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> playing with
1: 22 year olds. I mean, come but on."
0: You you made oh so that that was the comeback. So listen, you you shared a so, video with me, guys. I wanted to. This video is uh it's a couple minutes long. I'm going to share my screen. Let's watch this video. It shows Jeff in it in his uh I guess you could say in, in his not so prime. So I'm just going to share this right now. It's just a number until you're talking pro sports. Prime in your 20s. Prime no record for life. Pushing retirement in your 30s. Derek Dieter has done it
1: in grand style. And playing past 40 is very rare. Mark Rocky, 43 years old. I like to refer to it as I'm well into my 30 teens. 47 year old Jeff Morris is back playing football 12 years after he retired. The first reaction almost everybody is they laugh. The
0: former Carlton Ravens punter won a Canadian championship, but that was back in 1985. (laughs) He'd long since given up playing the game and was instead officiating football until he talked with the Bakers head coach and former CFLer, Kenneth Rare. I was kind of discussing
1: football at Jeff when I asked him if he still had it. He got that glint in his eye, oh, we're in trouble now because he's gonna get focused and prepare for the season. And he did just that. Jeff Morris quickly started training to see if he still had it. On his lunch breaks, he'd go pop footballs. That yeah, was not really worried about for the ball, but I was worried that I would tear my quad, in my hamstring and wrench my back. Only survived without a serious injury, lost 30 pounds, and showed up to the
0: first invaders practice several weeks later.
1: The funniest thing you know because he pumped out there with this big old uh, shoe with that, that looks like a like a dancing shoe while well, the guy would to go up there it was a stroll a lifetime out there kicked the ball. I didn't say anything but I knew what he had and when he hit his first plot he was about a six year spot like climbed over top of the tower and landed back down. We don't know to at home that
0: we had ourselves a hunter. He quickly became one of the guys and developed the nickname Footloose because of his resemblance to actor Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and in somewhat of a Hollywood script, Jeff Morris has gone on to have an incredible season He's one of the league's top punters.
1: He believes because he no longer plays with pressure. Even when I played into my early 30s, I was getting looks by pro teams, and now it's like, I don't have to worry about that. Like, I'm not out on the field thinking that there's a scout here from whatever I have to do. Well, There's nothing to do with that at all. Um, I'm just going out and playing for fun. He's
0: kicking it old school. That's his slogan for this season raising money for Roger's house with every punt.
1: Starting, come on now!
0: And showing the younger generation what old guys are still capable of get there ctv sports well there you go i i, I got a good kick out of that jeff that, that was pretty uh pretty awesome
1: that was 10 10 years ago
0: yeah wow that's uh that's pretty cool man okay so a couple co- couple quick comments coming through here uh let's see here matthew jones uh who also let me know the problem earlier thank you matthew says is jeff living in canada now you're all you are you're in ottawa currently correct
1: Yes, I'm in Ottawa.
0: You're in Ottawa. We had Rich Klein join us. He said we missed you in all in Dallas. Yes, I've certainly uh, had some Dallas card show FOMO this weekend. Would have loved to have been there, but I'm glad everybody had a great time. Glad to have you, Rich, to stop in for sure. And MMA says inspirational old guys rock. Yeah. And you know what, Jeff, you're not that old, right? You're what in your earlier fifty? You're in your early fifties. You're not you're not all that old. But 40 I hear you, MMA. Forty teens. 40 teens. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Let's, uh, let's move on to the, the, the big deal in your life or some, a recent story, uh, where you talk about a car accident you were in and everything that came out of that. Tell that whole story because I think it's really, uh, interesting and important.
1: Okay. So, uh, um, I, I was in Ottawa on a side street, just leaving my neighborhood and, uh, um, at a stop sign and a woman driving behind me slid on the ice and slid into me. And, and the seatbelt clip, um, I kind of bumped my head on, on the the seatbelt clip and, uh, um, got out of our car and, you know, we looked at our cars, there was not really any damage. Um, but, uh, for, we didn't exchange phone numbers or anything. I wish we would have. And, um, I kept getting headaches at night and I've had a lot of concussions through my football career. So I just figured, Oh geez, I got another concussion and I had a bit of a bump um, on my head, but I thought it was like, you know, in bugs bunny, you know, you get whacked in the head and you get a little bump. So I thought that's what it was. And I kept getting the headaches. And and, uh, so I finally went to emergency and um, long story short, I found out um, that I had a, a cancerous tumor that had eaten about a quarter of my skull and, and where I actually bumped my head, I hit the tumor. Um, so though that was the bump that was sticking out. And, um, so it was kind of a, kind of a bit of a life-changing moment because, uh, you know, I'm sitting there at the hospital, uh, waiting for tests for my concussion and the doctor comes over and he says, we need to go talk in the quiet room. And I was listening to, uh, to a game on my satellite radio on my phone. And I was thinking, Oh, the quiet room, I must be making too much noise. I got the game on. And, um, um, so he sits down and he's like, what's your cancer history? And it's like, oh my God. And, and, uh, even um, meanwhile, my wife is texting me, like, are you going to be home for dinner? Like, what's the holdup, whatever. And then, uh, I had to text her back and just said, well, we need to talk. They're asking me about my family's cancer history. So, um, what ended up happening was, uh, I have, uh, I have a, a type of cancer called multiple myeloma and it's a uh, bone marrow cancer that forms tumors in your, in your skull, and in your, your skeletal structure. And, uh, that's what, what had caused this, uh, tumor. It was about the size of a tennis ball. Um, but what, what went, um, uh, where it got complicated was that it had, it had punched into my brain. So, so, uh, so it, it had, it was about the size of a tennis ball. It, it uh, was eating my skull, but it also had, had uh, just penetrated my brain. So I had, uh, Emergency brain surgery, which basically saved my life, and 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 you know, like like when when you have cancer, like the one thing that I always thought, and I actually learned this from from Stuart Scott at ESPN, is beating cancer isn't surviving or dying. It's not it's not win or lose. Beating cancer is how you treat every day. Beating cancer is being who you are, not letting cancer take away your personality or your passion. Um, you just treat every day as, as a one-off and and you fight through it and and you overcome it. And, um, I didn't want cancer to take my sense of humor away because I like to clown around and joke around. So, um, I'm lying on the table, not even knowing if I'm ever going to wake up And this, this, uh, um, you know, all all I can think of is I hope I don't get Dr. Nick Riviera from the Simpsons or somebody like that. But this guy comes over and he's explaining all the stuff that they're going to do. And he says, you know, do you have any questions for me? And I said, uh, yeah, like family board game night. I hope you never hit the sides in operation. Like you always won, right? Like, <laughs> and, and he was disgusted with me. And then, and then I was just about to go under. I thought, Oh great. The last thing I ever do on earth is I piss off my brain surgeon. Um, so, uh, everything, everything went fine. And then, um, I had, uh, uh, they stapled my head shut and, um, put a metal plate in just, uh, um, it's, it's like about a, maybe about a third of my skull is, is a metal plate. So every time I go to an NHL game and I have to walk through the, uh, the thing, it sounds like an Amber alert, like me, 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 you know, or, or the airport, I, I set the thing off all the time, but, um, I relapsed. I went through radiation every day and, and, uh, and, you know, it's all, it's all a thing of perspective because, uh, the first day I was at the hospital for tests, um, I was there and I was kind of freaked out still that, that, you know, I, I envisioned myself like, um, being shot in the chest by a collector that couldn't find the Ty Conklin card, not necessarily by, uh, by cancer. So, um, uh, you, you know, you 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 think all these things through, but, but you know, you, you put everything in perspective. And the first person that I met in the waiting room, the first day I was there was I was telling the story about how I got in a car accident that saved my life. And he's like, that's amazing. And he, and I asked him, what are you in here for? And he said, well, I've got stage four pancreatic and I'm trying to make it to see my little girl's first day of kindergarten in the fall. And and that's what he told me. And I was just floored. And I just thought, you know what? I'm so blessed. And I'm so lucky that if I was given, if you know, if, if cancer is a poker game, I just got a Royal flush or a full house. Like, like I've got a great hand and I'm going to fight this and I'm going to make it. This guy, I feel so horrible for him. And even people would tell me like, Oh, I'm going to pray for you. And I said, no, pray for that guy. Pray for the 12 year old kid that's going through radiation just after me like like you know there's so many people that that uh um are going through this and and and, you know it 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 was a struggle so then um I got to ring the bell which was I mean I broke it I rang the crap out of it and then uh six months later I relapsed it was the same week the pandemic started and they found tumors in my uh in my in my rib cage the tumors were eating my ribs so um I went into chemo right away. I did uh, 32 rounds of chemo. And then, uh, um, I had a stem cell transplant, um, not that long ago. I'm recovering from it now and, uh, kept working through the whole thing. Didn't really take time off. Um, had some side effects and whatever, but, um, you know, you just try to stay positive. And, and, you know, if there's one thing that, um, you know, there's one thing that I learned, uh, through this, that, that I would like to share with everybody is that, um, I mean it's life changing, it's it's not something to fear. Um, when you when you fear it, it beats you. And, and uh, um, you've gotta you've gotta remember like one in every two one in every two point five people get it. So if, if, if you don't get it. somebody very close to you will. And, and probably everybody in the room has had somebody that's had around with cancer, whether it's, you know, breast cancer with women or prostate cancer or colon cancer. And, and the, the thing is, is to try to try to keep a good attitude. But the one thing I never really knew was um, I was always afraid of cancer. I always felt queasy around people. I didn't know what to say. Um, and if you know if you never know what to say to somebody who's a friend that, that has had cancer, um, just tell them to keep fighting stay strong keep fighting you know we, we we got you we got your back and that's that's all people need to hear and and uh um i don't mind uh <clears throat> i don't mind sharing that story because i think that uh i think that people need to hear it and and um and you know as far as uh as far as my recovery i'm i'm gonna beat this um I've, i'm going through some some uh, maintenance drugs and things like that now where, you know, it should be, should be about five years uh, before it comes back. And then when it comes back, I'll just beat it again. But, um, but I always tell my doctor, it's like, I want to die with cancer, not from cancer. And, and, and myeloma, there's no cure, but, um, it is, it's funny too. The first thing, the first thing I did was like, you know, when you, you know, when you Google like your birthday, like, okay, what famous people are on my birthday? I, I Googled myeloma trying to find out who, who, was famous that had it. Cause it's, it's kind of a, a rare cancer. And then I saw Don Baylor had myeloma. That's what he died from. That's so cool. Like, like I've got the same thing Don Baylor had. And then the Houston Astros coach uh, was a myeloma um, patient last year um, that, that they rallied around. So, um, so yeah, that's basically how the, uh, how the story went, but everything's, everything's good and everything's positive and, and uh, um, it really makes you appreciate everything in life i spent a lot of my recovery time uh looking through my 1970s and 80s cards and filling in sets and ordering things on uh, online and and um you know it just it just really makes you stop worrying about the little things you know it, yeah. it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me as far as uh, um how it changed my outlook on life
0: and uh, you'd mentioned to me a couple of a couple of things that kind of came out of it as well that you hadn't mentioned yet. One of them was um, scoring scoring baseball games, about five hundred of them or so. And you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you and you also mentioned something about Mike Kramer.
1: Yeah, actually, um, um, we found out through Facebook, but but uh, Mike and I were going through chemo at the same time. He had. Uh, um, he was having a a, a different cancer than I had, but, but uh, um, we were going through it at the same time. So we were messaging each other, you know, Hey, hey," you know, Hey, how you doing? Stay strong. You know, uh, we're in this together. And, and it was, uh, it was interesting because Mike was, you know, somebody that, you know, we, we, we like each other's Facebook posts and, you know, say hi at birthdays and Christmas. And we weren't really in touch that much other than just kind of being aware of through social media, what we were doing, but, um, cancer really, really kind of brought us together. And Mike is, uh, Mike is recovering also. And, and, uh, um, it's really kind of, uh, um, not, not only rekindled, but strengthened, um, the friendship that we have and, and, uh, um, and you know it's it's kind of comforting when you go through something like this that that you know somebody um, who's who's important part of your life that's going through it with you. I feel like it really makes a really makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I've lost, you know. Well, I'm sure we we all have. I have as well. Um, uh, Slipka says more chicken soup for the soul. You rock Jeff, uh, rage, rage joined us a little bit earlier. It tells us that uh, lost my mother to stage four brain cancer the day after Christmas three years ago, and my BF at 64 and I nursed her to the end and it crushed me. Sorry to hear that. Willie T says they should make a movie about your life. Jeff, Kevin Bacon might be available. <laughs> Stay strong. Matthew Jones says, is that why you still think the Expos are a team? <laughs> the Expos are still a team. Just kidding. Of course um and uh, yeah rage says god bless jeff god is good stay strong way to stay strong says tim Mary. an inspirational story keep fighting when it comes back yeah for sure um okay and i wanted to go back i i, I don't know if michael ham is still with us but i mentioned earlier yeah. oh the go bit, ahead show this
1: the book so so when when uh when i was recovering from uh you know brain surgery brain cancer um i had to you know, some people do crossword puzzles or Sudoku's or things like that. And I was at home, I was in a lot of pain, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it or anything, but I got the, uh, the Bob Carpenter's baseball scorebook, which is, which is what the uh, MLBPA writers association um, uses. So um, I I'm a Yankees fan. So every single New York Yankees game uh, I've seen every pitch and I've scored every game and, and, it's just something to keep my mind focused and busy. And, and, uh, last year while I was recovering or well, no 2019, while I was recovering, um, I scored 500 baseball games and, and, and it was like, uh, it was fun. Like it was, but, but when I was a kid, uh, like where I lived in, in Prescott, we were right on the border. So Ogdensburg, New York was right across from us and Ogdensburg was all Yankees. So, so we got Yankees games on Saturday and Sunday and Expos games every Wednesday, And I would always score games as a kid. And my bucket list thing was I'd love to do a whole season where I could score every game. And uh, so I did it. I've uh, I've scored every Yankees games since since uh, since I got sick. And uh, and it's um, it's a fun thing to do. It's like a little hobby. So,
0: yeah, uh, keep kept your mind busy and uh, it must have been a little therapeutic as well, I would have to think.
1: Well, well it's a little frustrating. It's a little frustrating this year because nobody on the Yankees can hit a slider, and they're all hitting 170. It's like uh, I'm writing a lot of K's. Like yeah. I'll get car- I'll get carpal tunnel from it. But.
0: Okay, so let's move on to our. Fi- uh, Sanderson Dora says Jeff, you had me until Yankees fan, but all the best. Um, okay. Thanks for sharing that story, that very personal story, but it's inspirational, man. And uh, your your words of wisdom were, you know, were, were really in, inspirational and just, I'm, I'm glad that we got to hear them. So, okay, you've been in the hobby now about 45 years or so. The hobby today, currently 2021, 2020 and 2021, it's, you know, we, we know what's been going on. We, it's had its ups, it's had its downs. Someone who's been in the hobby 45 years, what is your take on what we're seeing right now?
1: Um, I think we're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing a big rebound. Um, and, and I like a lot of what I see. There's some things to me that, that uh, um, are a little out of control, like the, uh, um, the market for, well, I mean, I mentioned the million dollar Wayne Gretzky, OPG, PSA 10 rookie card. Um and, and I don't know, uh, it's just me, but I looked at that card closely at the images of it. I don't know how that was graded a 10, um, because it looked pretty, uh, I know that, I know that the cutting on the OPG cards is a little rough, but, um, but I don't know how you could grade that card a 10 when some of the other nines that are out there look better. Um, but, uh, you're seeing people wanting to, wanting to uh, spend high end dollars on certain things and, um. You know, again, it's, it's investor versus collector, but, um, but I, I think overall uh, it's, it's exciting. It's really, I really like what Upper Deck is doing with their hockey products, Um, you know, especially with the, with the young guns. Um, And, and, you know, there's such a, such a great, crop of rookie cards this year i mean that's that's been driving sales so so people are jumping back on it and and they're doing it responsibly not like it was in the 90s so so i like that the one thing i'm not on board with is uh the whole nft blockchain thing um i i get it in a way but at the same time i would not consider that a collectible and i I don't understand how the licensing can ever work. I don't I don't see how you can have the right to own a moment. Um, and and I mean, I don't know. I I just don't uh, I'm not there. I think that there's a market for it, but I don't you know, I'm not one of the guys that, that would be interested in, in that because I don't I don't consider that collectible. It's, you know, NFTs and blockchain. It's it's something completely different, but it's it's not for me. Yeah,
0: I'm with you. I don't think it's collectible either. Well, it could be, it depends. I guess it's a collectible to someone who does want to collect them, but it's not a sports card. It's a totally different category. So I'm with you on that. And then we had a, also just on the current state of the hobby, Michael Ham had this question a while ago now, but I, I did want to come back to it. He said, what, what do you think about the current market and how Panini handles distribution coming from someone who worked in, in card companies and had a, had a, your ear to the ground in terms of distribution. What do you think about how it's being handled now, but with retail and, uh, as well as, you know, the uh, direct-to-consumer products that they're doing.
1: I, I don't really follow what Panini is doing that much uh, as far as knowing specifically what, what their distribution things are. I will tell you something, though, that, um, that really piqued my interest this week was uh, um, Target uh, pulling the plug on trading cards for a while in the States. And when, and when I was at Pacific, um, Target was our biggest customer. And, and, and it wasn't close. It was by far, they were our biggest customer. And, um, and part of the problem, problem with uh, um, the NHL lockout in 04 uh, and then giving the exclusive to Upper Deck was Target lost a lot of their um, hockey. The hockey market lost a lot of their shelf space at Target. NASCAR took all the all the hockey shelf space, and that really impacted hockey's rebound in the U.S. Uh, and slowed it down. I mean, thank God, Chris Sidney Crosby came along right at that time because he he alone drove um, hockey sales, and and I think that you know Connor McDavid drew drove hockey sales, and the, and you had guys in in each sport, but. Um, but with uh, but we as far as what Panini's doing, I'm I'm not really familiar with it. But um, but but you know the target thing was ridiculous. If you, if if people haven't heard about it, it was uh, I think it was a, a a pretty violent fight over over a product.
0: And, yeah, and a, gun uh, was, a gun was pulled, and they they pulled the product now. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and it's like um, well, at least you know that there's a demand if, <laughs> if somebody's going to do that. But there's um, a
0: demand. There's yeah a...
1: and, and it's uh i mean it's a sign that things are are uh, healthy again but but uh um, but yeah I, I hope that target comes back on board soon because the the card companies and the manufacturers need target
0: okay okay good take so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up really quick here now jeff so a couple of final comments uh from the chat then final comments from you and then we are going to be done for this episode and i will be back in about five or six minutes time with um with Ryan Nolan from breakout cards for the after hour show, which will be on a separate broadcast, but just go to the main YouTube page and you'll see us come live very soon. Uh, Sanderson Doris says NFT equals not for touching <laughs> fair, fair comment. Uh, Bobby Burrell, much love and respect for you. Jeff rage says so awesome. Even as a Yankees fan uh, and rage says, let's see, still delusional. Just kidding. Awesome. Jeff meant a lot thinking about my mom while hearing you speak. That's very nice. And Ben V you might be behind on the stream, but that's okay. Pacific cards were great. Amazing attention to detail went into the design of those cards. Okay, man. Well, listen, it's been, it's been fun, dude. This it's, we're almost at two hours went by really fast for me. Uh, you had me laughing out of my chair a couple of times and I even like tried to stay in my chair and not be too loud, but thanks for that. Thanks for joining. I knew we'd have a good time tonight um andy max says i'm a joker i'm a smoker i'm a bit i gotta go yeah that's uh in reference to my t-shirt tonight which i did get it to see miller this is a concert shirt actually from a show in any event jeff uh thanks so much for joining we'll take uh final comments to you uh from you to to the chat and to anything else and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up
1: um well first of all thanks again for having me and thanks everybody for listening and and uh for some of the the very great kind comments that means a lot and um and and yeah the only the only thing i would say to everybody is is uh um with collecting is is just enjoy it you know like like don't stress out over not getting this or that i mean just just go after what you want and really enjoy it and cherish it and and uh, um, and let it and let it be to you what it needs to be and and uh, you know we all collect for different reasons for me it's uh to be able to flip through stuff from the 70s 80s and 90s and walk down memory lane and, and have great memories and and uh and remember great players but but uh um really really just enjoy every moment of it and and uh, and, and don't take any days for granted and like you said
0: at the beginning uh you know there's all there are always more cards i find you know you, you you go for a card you don't get it there's always more cards to be to be bought and to be found miles mcclain has amazing guests appreciate hearing the stories and your positive observations thank you miles McLean. okay Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Thank you, MMA. I see your comment. Be back very soon. Again, with Ryan Nolan. Check it out on After Hours. If we don't, have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you back here next Saturday. Good night, everybody, and thank you.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death